This is a presentation of Redemption Bible Church. For more information, please visit our website at redemptionbc.org. We finish our series in 1 Thessalonians, Abound in Love, Holiness, and Hope. And um, in our series, we looked at how the gospel of Jesus has transformed the people in the city of Thessalonica to become different people, to become people like Jesus. And they encountered Jesus through the Apostles Paul's preaching of this good news, and they accepted Jesus through the invitation to believe, and they embraced the word and decided to follow Jesus through the Holy Spirit. This is what birthed the new church in this city. And uh, now Paul is giving final instructions and guidelines to this new church and how they should continue to be the church. Instructions of how a church family ought to live. And there are ways that we can strive and be healthy as a church, but church isn't something that we do, but it's who we are in Christ. And so I want to go back to our New City Catechism to ask the question, what is the church? Right? What is the church? And is this? No need, no need to read along with me. I can read it for you. God chooses and preserves for himself a community elected for eternal life and united by faith, who love, follow, learn from, and worship God together. God sends out this community to proclaim the gospel and prefigure Christ's kingdom by the quality of their life together and their love for one another. And the answer was derived from one of the letters that was written to this church. The church is about a community, about a family. It's about living out what we already are through God's calling in our lives. And Paul is urging the church to continue to be the church, continue being the church. And that's our sermon title for this morning, Being the Church. And we're in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 12 through 28. And uh, Paul kind of just goes off here, right, with the list, got 20 imperatives as he closes the letter. Or there isn't even 20 verses, but there's imperatives as an exhortation, strongly urging the church to follow these ways or commands. And so instead of a 20-point sermon this morning, at which you guys would surely appreciate, I want us to look at what it means for us to be the church. And sort of instead of 20 points, I've just got 19 points for us. No, I've got three ways. I've got three ways that we're involved in being the church, right? Three ways we are involved in being the church. And we'll look at the first after we, after we read the verse, uh, verses 12 through 13. Follow along. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace amongst yourselves. That being the church involves honoring leaders. Being the church involves honoring leaders. And an honest family moment here. This isn't the most exciting verse to preach because uh, uh, it involves me as an overseer of the church. And now I have to talk about myself. I only like to talk about my name. Nothing, no. Um, but more seriously, it feels like the amount of leaders and pastors being unqualified due to sexual immorality, due to not being above reproach, due to a lack of self-control, which leads to spiritual and emotional abuse and financial greed. It seems like we're on an upward projection of unfaithful leaders to the church. That's what it feels like. 
And so I'm asking myself, why honor leaders when it feels like we'll eventually find out they are not honorable? Why even preach this when it feels like there's no hope for the church and its leaders? Well, we preach this because of the word of God. We're called to preach it faithfully, every verse, regardless of how I feel about it. We preach this because the fall of leaders is even a further reason to preach about leadership and define it from God's word. Right? This isn't a time to stop preaching about it. And we preach this as a reminder for the call for myself and the elders and the pastors of their church, right? The reminder that this is Jesus' church. He gets to define his church, not the leaders. Honor leaders, honor leaders because this is a way of building one another up within the church, including the leaders. And the Greek translates the word respect to know, right? To know the importance of a person who is fulfilling this role so they are shown honor and respect. And the word esteem can be defined as regard, regard them in love and encouragement. And this doesn't mean to glorify them or exalt them, but this also doesn't mean to despise them and look down on them. But love and encourage, so they are also built up. And Paul is saying, honor and encourage leaders, not because of the position that they hold, but the end of verse 13 says, because of their work because of their work. And Paul gives context of the specific group to honor. He shares the attributes of this role, which entails a response of honor. What does the work of a leader entail? To work hard. To work hard physically, mentally, emotionally for the flock. It also entails the authority set by the Lord. Right? Those who have authority in the Lord meaning those who shepherd in the pattern set by Jesus. Also, those who admonish or counsel to to put something in one's mind to warn out of concern. But most importantly, though, leaders of the church are called to serve the church in a manner that reflects the character of Jesus. That is what it means to be a leader. Lead by example in character and action. Serve the church for Jesus in a way that reflects Jesus. And Jesus says in Matthew, in Mark 10, 43, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus is the greatest leader because he's the greatest example of service. And through the servant leadership, God has ordained leaders for his local church to lead and have authority as they are called to model the work of Jesus. And man, as one of your pastors, I feel so respected and honored by all of you guys. Thank you for the ways that you encouraged me. Thank you for the ways that you loved me and my family. Thank you for the ways that you prayed for me. I got a couple of texts this morning saying they're praying for me. Thank you. And we covered your prayers so much. And I've been more dependent on others to pray for me through this series. It has helped me pray for Pastor Ash and Pastor Tim. And I ask on behalf of the leaders here, pray for us. 
pray that we remain faithful to the mission God has called us. Pray that our character would increasingly reflect Jesus, that through our imperfections, God would still use us for his glory. Got through that text. Let's keep reading. Verses 14 and 15. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Being the church involves serving one another, serving one another. And uh, Paul now focuses on the church. The whole body ought to work together to minister to the whole body. And notice the first imperative in this list, but admonishing the idol. It's the only imperative that is shared between the congregation and its leaders. Admonishing meaning to instruct what must be done. Right? Being the church means that we are lovingly inviting those in our church family that are actively going against the way of God to pursue the path of God in obedience. Idol meaning those who are, who are in disorder. As one translator defines it, rebellious idlers. And this is where sometimes the church gets in trouble. Right? Sometimes we call each other out hypocritically, meaning we make someone else's sin greater than our own sin. And sometimes we excuse ourselves and others of disorder and rebellion for the sake of avoidance and surface level peace. But being the church means serving one another through cautioning those who are not looking to Jesus and pointing them to Jesus. And yet in a way that reflects the character of Jesus. It's our role to point them to Jesus, but only God can do the heart work. And what I'm not saying is that you now have permission to start hunting down people that don't fit your standards of Christianity and to diminish them in public rebuke. That's not what I'm saying. There's a way to approach someone who has sinned against you. Go tell them his fault between you and him without gossip, without division, in love. There's a way to approach someone who's refusing to obey God's word and invite them into obedience through patience and prayer. But also on the other end, we might be the ones who need to receive that correction. We might be the ones that need to be called out for our conduct. We have to be open to that. But regardless, this is for the building, up for the, the church. It's our collective responsibility to point our family to Jesus, especially to those who are not looking to Jesus at the moment. That's our job. It's our responsibility to receive others pointing us to Jesus as well. It's our collective work. Serving the church means we ought to encourage those who are facing despair and sadness due to, due to a difficult circumstance or season. The people of Thessalonica, they were facing discouragement in terms of grief. They were experiencing due to the death of church members, as chapter 4 talks about. And the text includes the word faint-hearted. And that translates, translates to those with little of soul. Right? Encouragement is a necessity in Christian community. And uh, every year I buy this four-step uh, lawn care program for our lawn. Uh, it's basically fertilizer for the lawn for different seasons, right? Step one, crabgrass prevention. 
Step two, kills weeds. Step three, lawn food. Step four, protection for the winter. I swear they're going to start putting more steps to this. Part of me thinks this is like a marketing trick where they just want to buy, they just want to make you purchase four different bags doing the same thing. And every year I convince myself that I'm going to skip a step. But I feel convicted to buy all four, and so I buy it. <laughs> but honestly, I think it works, right? I think it does. I buy, I buy all four all the time. The lawn needs protection and nourishment for different seasons to be healthy. And just like the need for various nourishment for the lawn, encouragement is a type of nourishment for our souls. And I'm not sure what step it is, but I know for sure it's needed for a healthy soul. Encouragement is the nourishment that we can provide for one another in our walk with Jesus, especially to those who need it the most. And encouragement isn't flattery. It's not just saying nice things about somebody. But the aim of encouragement is to inspire someone towards God. The aim of encouragement is to inspire someone towards God. And encouragement allows a person to see outside of their temporary situation to find confidence in God's plan. That's why it feels good. And encouragement is done in several ways. It's by being authentic. Hey, I'm struggling with this. I have had a very hard week. It can be done by sharing what God is teaching you. It can be letting someone know how God used them. It can be simply be a text saying, hey, just pray for you. Inspire someone towards God. Because when we do this as a church, we find confidence in God. We find courage in God, right? Encouragement, courage. We find courage in God. Jesus says this in John 16. He says, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have uh, tribulation. But this is how Jesus encourages. Take heart. But take heart. I have overcome the world. I have overcome the world. That's the encouragement that Jesus offers. That's the encouragement that we can find in Jesus Help the weak, those who are struggling in their walk. Walk with them, help with them, help them fight sin. Help them fight doubt, point them to Jesus. Now, regardless of the mode of service, Paul is saying, be patient with everyone and seek to do good to everyone. God deals so graciously with us in our means. And let's cultivate that culture of patience with one another as we serve one another. And verse 15 here is a motive check. But regardless of the situation, we're not called to avenge, but to seek doing good for one another. Our efforts tie in with our motive of serving Jesus through serving others. One commentator says, if your motive is a desire for appreciation and praise, you may be disappointed. But if your motive is being a servant, for Jesus' sake, you will never be disappointed. The health and growth of the church depends on us, on the family of church. So let me ask, what opportunity do you have to serve one another? What opportunity do you have to serve one another? Is it through encouragement? 
Is it through helping someone who's struggling with something? Or is it through pointing someone to Jesus when they are not looking to Jesus at this moment? And we ask everyone who calls Redemption their church home to serve. I serve on a missional team. You can sign up through um, the info card at the end of the service. Because we have an opportunity to serve through the team that we have here. But this call goes outside of just our missional teams. It, it goes into our personal ministry to the Lord. What opportunity do you have to serve one another? Let's keep reading. Verses 16 through 22. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast to what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Being the church involves worshiping God together. Being the church involves worshiping God together. And the text here continues to have a communal aspect to it versus an individual approach, right? Paul is talking to the church. The verbs here are plural, so Paul is giving instructions to the congregational worship, especially in the latter verses when he's talking about greeting one another and the public reading of the letter to all. And the text is talking about what we are doing right now, worshiping God. What we call this our Sunday morning worship service, the most important part of that line. And the aim of our gathering here is to worship God. And worshiping God is the adoration of God over everything. And because of the object of our worship, it ought to consist of joy and prayer and gratitude. Our worshiping together uh, to include the Holy Spirit in the teaching of His Word. The cool thing we've seen the fruits of the Spirit throughout these te- these uh, texts thus far. Right, you see uh, joy and prayer and and uh, uh, love and peace and patience and joy in this. Right, we worship through the Spirit. Right, rejoice always. Man, how is that? possible? How can we rejoice always? Because our rejoicing is tied in with the joy that we have through the Lord. Meaning when Paul tells us to be joyful always, he's saying what he said in Philippians 4.4. 4. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will rejoice. See, God is the consistent in our lives. He is the consistent. So regardless of the circumstances, he gives us the opportunity to always be joyful. We get to experience that through the Holy Spirit. And when we are missing the joy in the Lord, all this, what we're doing, it becomes more about the action and less about the heart. Joy is a heart matter. It's not a circumstantial factor. So let me ask you, where do you find your joy? Is it in the Lord? Or is it in something else? Are you experiencing joy during worship, right? Worshiping God ought to be a joyful experience. But if you're lacking joy, man, it's 
is the center of your worship, Jesus. Pray constantly. It's easy to come to church, go through the action, and not pray the entire time. But we've got 9.30 prayer in the lobby. Every Sunday is a rhythm of prayer. Come. We'll have some time to pray after the sermon. Pray to him while we're singing. We're talking about adding a new rhythm of prayer, uh, maybe in the evening. And prayer is a dialogue with God, lifting your desires to him and also listening to him. It's a part of prayer, listening to him. It doesn't have to be complicated. It doesn't have to be long. But let it be often. Let it be often. It is telling God what he already knows. And he desires this of us. And I've been finding comfort in short, repetitive prayers. I've been finding comfort in asking God to fill our cups, to fill my cup, replenish me. That's been my prayer. I don't want us to walk away from our time together without talking to God. Are we praying to him when we're gathering? We'll have time to do that. Similarly, our gratitude is a heart matter. It's not a circumstantial factor. And it says, give thanks in all circumstances. How is that possible? The only way to give thanks in all circumstances is for our gratitude to be linked to a non-movable element in our lives. Circumstances are supposed to change. However, if you are a follower of Jesus, the gospel of Jesus does not and will not move from our lives. Is your gratefulness linked to the gospel or is it linked to circumstances? Because this alters the way that we worship Jesus. And gathering together as a church to worship God joyfully, prayerfully, and gratefully is the will of God. This is the will of God. He wants us to be joyful. He wants us to be praying to him and hearing from him. He wants us to be thankful because of what he has already done. Being the church means worshiping together in God's truth. If there's no truth in our worship of God, this is a false worship. And this is what verses 19 and 22 references but truth in prophecies. Prophecies played a crucial role in the establishment of the church. And the church in Thessalonica, they didn't have a completed Bible like us. And so certain members of the church received a divine revelation from God to share amongst the church. They received God's word through the manifestation of the Holy Spirit's power. And Paul is asking the church to find the balance here in receiving these prophecies through discernment. Don't reject it right off the bat, but don't accept it right off the bat. Listen and test to it. And for us today, we don't have prophets anymore now that we have the completed Bible, but God's word is the authority of the church in which we all sit under. The Holy Spirit that provided these prophecies to the church in Thessalonica is the same spirit that speaks to us through God's word today. And through the teaching 
and the expounding of his word, the Holy Spirit personally works in us and amongst us in a supernatural way that only God can do. And when you hear the word of God and you are convicted or convinced of this truth, that is the Spirit working in you. And you have an opportunity to listen and to act on that conviction through obedience. Are we listening to the word? Are we acting on the word? Are we letting the word change us? If we have a pattern of disregarding the Holy Spirit, we quench him. Or as one translation says, do not put out the Spirit's fire. Instead, verse 21 says, uh, or, or when we abide and are filled in the Spirit, there's a fire and a desire to worship Jesus. Or hold fast to what is good. This is the way of the Lord. Don't quench the Spirit. Abide in Him. Listen to Him. Because when we gather together in worship, we allow the Holy Spirit to work in us. And that's what produces the fruit of the Spirit. That's what causes us to be joyful. It it desires us to to be prayerful and gives us an opportunity to be grateful in our worship to God together. Let's keep going. Verses 23 and 24. This has been our benediction for the last seven weeks. Now Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless of the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. And uh, Paul sneaks in a prayer here at the end of the letter. He sneaks in a lot of things in this text, right? It's been a fun week to prep this. May God sanctify or gradually grow our righteousness through the Holy Spirit so we become who we already are in Christ. This is a word of comfort for us. A peace knowing that our continual call of being the church and growing to be like Jesus doesn't rest on our efforts, on our shoulders, but in God's faithfulness. It is by grace alone that we are saved and it is by grace alone that we are being transformed into the image of Christ. It is God alone that will keep his children blameless at the coming of Jesus. Then what more can we ask? Knowing Jesus is all that we need. And that is exactly what Jesus offers himself. Jesus offers himself to the church. He offers himself to us. The church in our mess in our sin, in our hypocrisy, in our weakness, in our hurt, in our unworthiness. And we still belong to God. The church is why Jesus came to die for people like us. So that we could be with him. God will do what he says he will do. It is his business. It is his work. And Jesus is the head of the church, and he's calling us to follow him as he leads us, his bride. And we can find true hope for us and the church knowing that we are God's eternally. 
And the, and the truth of the gospel redirects our faith from us to Jesus. See, because of the gospel, it is not our faithfulness to Jesus that gives us comfort, but it is Jesus' faithfulness to us that gives us comfort. Amen? Because of the gospel, it is not our efforts that uphold our salvation and sanctification. Salvation belongs to Jesus and is secured under his name, not ours. It is the righteousness of Jesus that covers us through his life, his death, his resurrection, and his ascension. And which makes us who we are, and his return will complete his work. Leon Morris puts this, says this, It is profoundly satisfying to the believer that in the last resort, what matters is not his feeble hold on God, but God's strong grip on him. And he is faithful. He will do it. We've got a few more verses here. Didn't forget. So I want to close out our series by doing what it calls us to do. And we're not going to be kissing each other, right? That's not the verse that I'm talking about. That was a custom of the time and a common practice. But I hope we can still uh, greet each other after service. A handshake is fine. But Paul charged the letter to be read out loud to all. I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. So that's what we'll do. We'll read the letter in its entirely as a letter. And there won't be any slides in the back. I just want you to hear the letter that Paul wrote to this church and how God desires of them. All right? Here we go. The first letter of Paul to the Thessalonians. Should drink some water. <laughs> Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians and God, the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers. Remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. And for we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you, not only in word but also in power and in the Holy Spirit with full conviction. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere, so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. For our appeal does, does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive 
but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with the pretext for greed, God is witness. Nor do we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. While we, while we proclaim to you the gospel of God, you are witnesses and God also how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. For you, brothers, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews, who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets, and drove us out and displease God and oppose all mankind by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved. So as always to fill up the measure of their sins, but wrath has come upon them at last. But since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time, in person, not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face because we wanted to come to you. I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus that is coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. Therefore, when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone. And we sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ, to establish and exhort you in faith. That no one be moved by these affliction. For you yourselves know that we are destined for this. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction just as it has come to pass and just as you know. For this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would come, the labor would be in vain. But now that Timothy had come to us from you and has brought us the good news of your faith and love and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you. For this reason, brothers, in all our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through our faith. For now we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you? For all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God. As we pray most earnestly night and day that we may see your face to face, to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. And now may God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you and may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. And finally then, brothers, as we urge, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God just as you are doing that you do so more and more, for you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, 
that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgresses and wrongs his brother in this matter, because the Lord is the avenger in all these things. And as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you, for God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, who... Whoever disregards this disregards not man, but God, who gives the Holy Spirit to you. And now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you. For you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more, to aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs and to work with your hands as we instructed you, so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with the cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead will, in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. And while people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them, as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for the day to surprise you like a thief. For you are children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. And so let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober for those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as we are doing. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace amongst yourselves. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast to what is good, abstain from every form of evil. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ he who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Brothers, pray for us. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. And I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you.
Let's pray. Thanks for listening. For more audio content and information about redemption, please visit our website at redemptionbc.org.